Helen's Babies, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kara Schallenberg. Helen's Babies by John Haberton. Part 2. Ah, ye oo! came from the window over my head. Then came a shout of, Uncle Harry! in a voice I recognized as that of Budge. I made no reply. There are moments when the soul is full of utterances unfit to be heard by childish ears. "'Uncle Harry!' repeated Budge. Then I heard a window-blind open, and Budge exclaiming, "'Uncle Harry, we want you to come and tell us stories!' I turned my eyes upward quickly, and was about to send a savage negative in the same direction, when I saw in the window a face unknown and yet remembered. Could those great, wistful eyes, that angelic mouth, that spiritual expression, belong to my nephew Budge? Yes, it must be. Certainly that super-celestial nose and those enormous ears never belonged to anyone else. I turned abruptly, and entered the house, and was received at the head of the stairway by two little figures in white, the larger of which remarked, "'We want you to tell us stories. Papa always does nights.' "'Very well. Jump into bed. What kind of stories do you like?' "'Oh, about Jonah,' said Budge. "'About Jonah,' echoed Toddie. "'Well, Jonah was out in the sun one day, and a gourd-vine grew up all of a sudden, and made it nice and shady for him, and then it all faded as quick as it came.' A dead silence prevailed for a moment, and then Budge indignantly remarked, "'That ain't Jonah a bit. I know about Jonah.' "'Oh, you do, do you?' said I. "'Then maybe you'll be so good as to enlighten me?' "'Huh?' "'If you know about Jonah, tell me the story. I'd really enjoy listening to it.' "'Well,' said Budge, "'once upon a time the Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell the people they was all bad. But Jonah didn't want to go, so he went on a boat that was going to Joppa.' And then there was a big storm, and it rained and blowed, and the big waves went as high as a house. And the sailors thought there must be somebody on the boat that the Lord didn't like, and Jonah said he guessed he was the man, so they picked him up and froed him in the ocean, and I don't think it was well for him to do that after Jonah told the truth. And a big whale was coming along, and he was awful hungry, cause the little fishes what he likes to eat all went down to the bottom of the ocean when it began to storm, and whales can't go to the bottom of the ocean, cause they have to come up to breathe, and the little fishes don't. And Jonah found twas all dark inside the whale, and there wasn't any fire there, and it was all wet, and he couldn't take off his clothes to dry, cause there wasn't no place to hang em, and there wasn't no windows to look out of, nor nothing to eat, nor nothing, nor nothing, nor nothing. So he asked the Lord to let him out, and the Lord was sorry for him, and he made the whale go up close to the land, and Jonah jumped right out of his mouth, and wasn't he glad? And then he went to Nineveh, and done what the Lord told him to, and he ought to have done it in the first place, if he had known what was good for him. "'Done first page, known what's good for him,' asserted Toddy, in support of his brother's assertion. "'Tell us nutter story.' "'Oh, no, sing us a song,' suggested Budge. "'Sing a shong,' echoed Toddy. I searched my mind for a song, but the only one which came promptly was "'Mapari.' several bars of which I gave my juvenile audience, when Budge interrupted me, saying, "'I don't think that's a very good song.' 
Why not, Budge? Cause I don't. I don't know a word what you're talking about. Shing bout, glory, glory, hallelujah, suggested Toddy, and I meekly obeyed. The old air has a wonderful influence over me. I heard it in western camp meetings and negro cabins when I was a boy. I saw the twenty-second Massachusetts march down Broadway, singing the same air during the rush to the front during the early days of the war. I have heard it sung by warrior tongues in nearly every southern state. I heard it roared by three hundred good old hunker Democrats as they escorted New York's first colored regiment to their place of embarkation. My old brigade sang it softly, but with a swing that was terrible in its earnestness, as they lay behind their stacks of arms just before going to action. I have heard it played over the grave of many a dead comrade. The semi mutinous, the cavalry became peaceful, and patriotic again as their bandmaster played the old air after having asked permission to try his hand on them. It is the same that burst forth spontaneously in our barracks on that glorious morning when we learned that the war was over, and it was sung with words adapted to the occasion by some good rebel friends of mine on our first social meeting after the war. All these recollections came hurrying into my mind as I sang, and probably excited me beyond my knowledge, for a budge suddenly remarked, Don't sing that all day, Uncle Harry. You sing so loud it hurts my head. Beg your pardon, budge, said I. Good night. Why, Uncle Harry, are you going? You didn't hear us say our prayers. Papa always does. Oh, well, go ahead. You must say yours first, said Budge. That's the way Papa does. Very well, said I, and I repeated St. Chrysostom's prayer from the Episcopal service. I had hardly said Amen when Budge remarked, My Papa don't say any of them things at all. I don't think that's a very good prayer. Well, you say a good prayer, Budge. All right. Budge shut his eyes, dropped his voice to the most perfect tone of supplication. While his face seemed fit for a sleeping angel, then he said, Dear Lord, we thank you for letting us have a good time today, and we hope all the little boys everywhere have had good times too. We pray you to take care of us and everybody else tonight, and don't let em have any trouble. Oh, yes, and Uncle Harry's got some candy in his trunk, cause he said so in the carriage. We thank you for letting Uncle Harry come to see us, and we hope he's got lots of candy, lots and piles. And we pray you to take good care of all the poor little boys and girls that haven't got any papas and mamas and Uncle Harry's and candy and beds to sleep in. And take us all to heaven when we die, for Christ's sake, amen. Now give us the candy, Uncle Harry. Hush, Budge. Don't Toddy say any prayers? Oh, yes, go on, Todd. Toddy closed his eyes, wriggled, twisted, breathed hard and quick, acting generally as if prayers were principally a matter of physical exertion. At last he began, Dee Lord, not make me so bad, and besh mamma and papa and budgie and doppity. Footnote, grandmother. And both buggies. Footnote, grandfathers. And all good people in dish house, and everybody else, and my dolly. Amen. Now give us the candy, said Budge, with the usual echo from Toddy. I hastily extracted the candy from my trunk. Gave some to each boy, the recipients fairly shrieking with delight, and once more said good night. Oh, you didn't give us any pennies, said Budge. Papa gives us some to put in our banks every night. s Well, I haven't got any now. Wait until tomorrow. 
"'Then we want drinks.' "'I'll let Maggie bring you drink.' "'Want my dolly,' murmured Toddy. "'I found the knotted towels, took the dirty things up gingerly, and threw them upon the bed. "'Now want a she wheels go wound,' said Toddy. "'I hurried out of the room and slammed the door. "'I looked at my watch. "'It was half-past eight. "'I had spent an hour and a half with those dreadful children. "'They were funny, to be sure.' I found myself laughing in spite of my indignation. Still, if they were to monopolize my time as they had already done, when was I to do my reading? Taking Fisk's cosmic philosophy from my trunk, I descended to the back parlor, lit a cigar and a student lamp, and began to read. I had not fairly commenced when I heard a patter of small feet, and saw my elder nephew before me. There was sorrowful protestation in every line of his countenance, as he exclaimed, "'You didn't say good-bye, nor God bless you, nor anything!' "'Oh, good-bye. Good-bye. God bless you. God bless you.' Budge seemed waiting for something else. At last he said, "'Papa says God bless everybody.' "'Well, God bless everybody.' "'God bless everybody,' responded Budge, and turned silently and went upstairs. "'Bless your tormenting, honest little heart,' I said to myself. "'If men trusted God as you do your papa, how little business there'd be for preachers to do.' The night was a perfect one. The pure, fresh air, the perfume of the flowers, the music of the insect choir in the trees and shrubbery— the very season itself seemed to forbid my reading philosophy, so I laid Fisk aside, delighted myself with a few rare bits from Paul Haynes' new volume of poems, read a few chapters of One Summer, and finally sauntered off to bed. My nephews were slumbering sweetly. It seemed impossible that the pure, exquisite, angelic faces before me belonged to my tormentors of a few hours before— as I lay on my couch I could see the dark shadow and rugged crest of the mountain, above it the silver stars against the blue, and below it the rival lights of the fireflies against the dark background formed by the mountain itself. No rumbling of wheels tormented me, nor any of the thousand noises that fill city air with the spirit of unrest, and I fell into a wonder almost indignant that sensible, comfortable, loving beings could live in horrible New York— while such delightful rural homes were so near at hand. Then Alice Mayton came into my mind, and then a customer. Later stars and trademarks and bouquets and dirty nephews, and fireflies and bad accounts, and railway tickets, and candy, and Herbert Spencer, mixed themselves confusingly in my mind. Then a vision of a proud angel, in the most fashionable attire, and a modern carriage, came and banished them all by its perfect radiance, and I was sinking in the most blissful unconsciousness. I wee Shh! I hissed. The warning was heeded, and I soon relapsed into oblivion. Ah-wee-bee! Toddy, do you want Uncle to whip you? No. Then lie still. Well, I's lost my dolly, and I can't find her anywhere. Well, I'll find her for you in the morning. Oh, ye, I wants my dolly. 
"'Well, I tell you I'll find her for you in the morning.' "'I want her now! "'You can't have her now, so you can go to sleep.' "'Oh!' "'Springing madly to my feet, I started for the offender's room. "'I encountered a door ajar, by the way, "'my forehead being first to discover it. "'I ground my teeth, lit a candle, and said something, no matter what.' "'Oh, you said a bad swear!' ejaculated Toddy. "'You won't go to heaven when you die.' "'Neither will you if you howl like a little demon all night. "'Are you going to be quiet now?' "'Yes, but I want my dolly.' "'I don't know where your dolly is. "'Do you suppose I'm going to search this entire house for that confounded dolly?' "'Tain't founded. I want my dolly.' "'I don't know where it is. You don't think I stole your dolly, do you?' "'Well, I wants it into bed with me.' "'Charles,' said I, "'when you arise in the morning, I hope your doll will be found. At present, however, you must be resigned and go to sleep. I'll cover you up nicely.' Here I began to rearrange the bedclothing, when the fateful dolly, source of all my woes, tumbled out of them. Toddy clutched it, his whole face lighting up with affectionate delight, and he screamed, "'Oh, there's my dee dolly! Tum to your own papa dolly, and I'll love you!' And that ridiculous child was so completely satisfied by his outlay of affection that my own indignation gave place to genuine artistic pleasure. One can tire of even beautiful pictures, though, when he is not fully awake, and is holding a candle in a draught of air— so I covered my nephews and returned to my own room, where I mused upon the contradictoriness of childhood until I fell asleep. In the morning I was awakened very early by the light streaming in the window, the blinds of which I had left open the night before. The air was alive with bird songs, and the eastern sky was flushing with tints which no painter's canvas ever caught. But ante-sunrise skies and songs are not fit subjects for the continued contemplation of men who read until midnight, so I hastily closed the blinds, drew the shade, dropped the curtains, and lay down again, dreamily thanking heaven that I was to fall asleep to such exquisite music. I am sure that I mentally forgave all my enemies as I dropped off into a most delicious doze, but the sudden realization that a light hand was passing over my cheek roused me to savage anger in an instant. I sprang up, and saw Budge shrink timidly away from my bedside. "'I was only a-lovin' you, cause you was good and brought us candy. Papa lets us love him whenever we want to. Every morning he does.' "'As early as this?' demanded I. "'Yes, just as soon as we can see, if we want to.' "'Poor Tom!' I never could comprehend why, with a good wife, a comfortable income, and a clear conscience, he need always look thin and worn, worse than he ever did in Virginia woods or Louisiana swamps. But now I knew all, and yet what could one do? That child's eyes and voice, and his expression, which exceeded in sweetness that of any of the angels I had ever imagined, that child could coax a man to do more self-forgetting deeds than the shortening of his precious sleeping hours amounted to. In fact, he was fast divesting me of my rightful sleepiness, so I kissed him and said, "'Run to bed now, dear old fellow, and let Uncle go to sleep again. After breakfast I'll make you a whistle.' "'Oh, will you?' 
The angel turned into a boy at once. Yes, now run along. A loud whistle? A real loud one? Yes, but not if you don't go right back to bed. The sound of little footsteps receded as I turned over and closed my eyes. Speedily the bird song seemed to grow fainter. My thoughts dropped to pieces. I seemed to be floating on fleecy clouds, in company with hundreds of cherubs with budges, features, and night drawers. Uncle Harry! May the Lord forget the prayer I put up just then. Uncle Harry! I'll discipline you, my fine little boy, thought I. Perhaps if I let you shriek your abominable little throat horse, you'll learn better than to torment your uncle that was just getting ready to love you dearly. Uncle Harry! Howl away, you little imp, thought I. You've got me wide awake, and your lungs may suffer for it. Suddenly I heard, although in sleepy tones and with a lazy drawl, some words which appalled me. The murmurer was toddy. Want she wheels go wound. Budge! I shouted, in the desperation of my dread, lest toddy, too, might wake up. What do you want? Uncle Harry! What? Uncle Harry! What kind of wood are you going to make the whistle out of? I won't make any at all. I'll cut a big stick and give you a sound whipping with it, for not keeping quiet as I told you to. Why, Uncle Harry, Papa don't whip us with sticks. He spanks us. Heavens! Papa, Papa, Papa! Was I never to have done with this eternal quotation of Papa? I was horrified to find myself gradually conceiving a dire hatred of my excellent brother-in-law. One thing was certain, at any rate, sleep was no longer possible, so I hastily dressed and went into the garden. Among the beauty and the fragrance of the flowers, and in the delicious morning air, I succeeded in regaining my temper, and was delighted, on answering the breakfast bell two hours later, to have Budge accost me with. "'Why, Uncle Harry, where was you? We looked all over the house for you, and couldn't find a speck of you.'" End of Part 2 Read on October 1st, 2007, in Oceanside, California.